Welcome, dear viewers, to Monster, Dear Monster, a podcast where we examine monsters from various cultures, folklores, and works of fiction. I'm uh, Leonard, also known as Dr. Faust is Dead, and I'm joined today by my friends Dave and Cameron. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm see, 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 see the real. I, I wasn't just making yeah. them up. Uh... <laughs> oh, 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 wait. They can hear us too? <laughs> oh. No, my podcast friend's real. He lives all the way out in Australia. You won't, you wouldn't know him. <laughs> um,. And today we're going to be covering uh, the H.P. Lovecraft ghost-ridden novella, The Mound. Um, it uh, was originally attributed uh, as the, uh, the writer was originally attributed as uh, uh, Zelza Bishop, um, who had uh, actually commissioned Lovecraft to write a couple of other stories um, the Curse of Yig and uh, Medusa's Coil. And the mound uh, actually started off with a pretty simple premise. Uh, to quote, uh, there's an Indian burial, uh, there's an Indian mound which is haunted by a headless ghost. Sometimes it's a woman. <laughs> uh, end quote. <laughs> that so uh, yeah. so Lovecraft uh, being Lovecraft was like well that's not really anything to work off of so I'm just going to write this very long story about an ancient s subterranean civilization that lives under this uh, under that literally lives under the premise of your l lazier story. <laughs> <laughs> um so fellas uh was this your first encounter with this uh lovecraft tale yes actually it was um i i don't even know if i read the honor or no the abridged version before this is as far as i know I've, i haven't read this one previously and I would have remembered it because it's really long. <laughs> uh, Cam, your first time? Uh, yeah, no, definitely my first time. Uh, so I took I took my sweet time over the course of several hours today, just kind of slowly digesting it. Uh, it it is a it is a lengthy story, uh, which is good. <laughs> uh, but as always, before we get into uh. The main topic of discussion, I think, as everyone li who listens regularly knows, it's time for Yokai of the Week. So, Dave, we're going to be looking at... Uh, the letters R and S, because R is painfully short, so will you do <laughs> us the honor and roll them? Alrighty, what Oops. do we got? Uh, that one fell, uh, fell off the table, I, don't, I have to do it again. Oh, okay. 
Uh, I get okay. Uh, again, Dave, re-roll them. Seventeen. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Wow. I mean, okay. (laughs) And that was in fact a random roll. Yeah. Do they have a page? They do have a page. I hope so. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so we have the, the Shichinin Misaki, which means the seven-person Misaki. Uh, they're a group of ghosts, first known in the Kochi Prefecture, told about in the Shikoku and Chugoku regions. Um, their little, their little sub-blurb on this big list is, A group of seven ghosts who sicken the living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Dave, take it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so this, this one's lengthy, so I'll, uh, I'll start the summary. They are ghosts of humans who died from calamities and accidents, especially drowning at sea. As according to its name, they normally together, okay, they normally together, as a group of seven, appear mainly near water like <laughs> seas and rivers. Humans in, who encounter the Shichin Misaki experience a high fever and die. By possessing and Ooh. killing one person, one of the spirits of the Shichinin Misaki are able to go to peace, and in its place... Oh, that sucks. The one who was possessed and killed becomes one of the Shichinin Misaki. <laughs> For this reason, the Shichinin Misaki are always a group of seven, never increasing nor decreasing. It's a curse. Wow. Yeah. There can be only seven? <laughs> yeah, it's like there could be only one, but only seven. <laughs> that is quite interesting in a way for, um, oh, the ghost went to peace. But the monster says the exact same for the sequel. Uh, yep, get ready for yep. the Bloomhouse production of seven <laughs> ghosts that make people sick. <laughs> I'll um I'll, I'll continue this part because there's a lot. Um, yeah, there are okay. several accompanying legends about the progenitor of this spirit, but amongst uh, among the most well known is the ballad of the vengeful spirit of the Sengoku military commander of Tosa Province, Chira Chikazane. Kira, Chikazane, uh, told Kira. about in classics like the Roho Kidan and the Shini Kai Kidan. During the Azuchi Moyama period, Momoyama period, uh, after the death of Chosokabe Nobi- so <laughs> Nobuchika, right, there's a lot of names here, um, the eldest son of Kira Chikazan, his uncle, Chosokabe Morochika. Since he opposed Morochika in supporting Chosokabe, Morichika as a successor, and he was ordered to commit to commit seppuku. Okay, so, um, so the oldest okay. son of this guy's uncle yes. supported someone else for the succession yeah. and was ordered to commit suicide. Okay. At that time, several vassals also followed suicide. Okay, this makes sense. And thus, seven people in total. Um, but afterwards, various strange events started happening at their graves, and the vengeful spirits of Chik- Chikazane and the rest were were feared as the Shichinin Misaki. Morochika, who heard of this, held a memorial for them, but there was no effect, and in order to pacify the vengeful spirits, Kizuka Myojin uh, was deified at the gravesite of Nishipun village, Masui. This is the currently existing Kira shrine. Also, according to the Doyoin Ken Kidan and the uh, Shinkai Kidan, uh, Hiyayama Chikaoki, who also opposed Morichika along with Chikazane, was also made to commit seppuku, and all and all six of his wife and children were also given the death penalty. It is said that the total of seven people 
became the Hie village Shichinin Misaki. So there's like groups of these Shichinin Misaki, like all over mm. the country. They're everywhere. They're all yeah. over the shop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> ghosts um, all over the shop. Uh, do you want me to take this next the, one? You're going to have to take the next one. I, that, yeah. That wore me out. <laughs> okay. Um, so, following on, uh, in Mihara, Hiroshima Prefecture, there was a mound called Kyozuka. Uh, the Sutra Mound, or the Insanity Mound. <laughs> okay. Hey, this is very relevant. Yep. Um, <laughs> where there were once seven brutal mountain priests, and when the people they tormented worked together to kill them, their vengeful spirits became the Shichinin Misaki, and it's said that this mound was made in order to pacify that curse. Other than that, it's also said that these spirits um, are the fleeing, defeated Tyra clan soldiers who fell and died in a boar trap, Seven female pilgrims who were thrown into the ocean, the soldiers who lost their lives in Tensho 16, uh, in 1588, from the Chosakabi Morochika inheritance controversy, <laughs> previously mentioned, <laughs> uh, the spies of Yotsu no Miya, who died in the Eroku period, and so on. So there's, there's all these groups of seven dead people throughout history who are being blamed for the, um, the Shichinin Misaki. <laughs> Stop killing people in wow. groups of seven, you'll fix your problem I right know. there. <laughs> Right now, don't, right? don't worry, there's the seven samurai also. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Uh, um, in Toyama, Yamaguchi Prefecture, um, it said that the Shichinin Misai, uh, I'm assuming they mean Misaki and they missed a K there, uh, appearing as monks while ringing bells would walk down paths at high speed and kidnap <laughs> female children. What <laughs> <laughs> are those... T- one of those things is not as serious as the other. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Just a group um, of seven reason, priests power walking down and snatching up kids. <laughs> that serious power walk. Oh my now. god. It's killing me. Yeah. For uh, that reason, girls were warned not to go outside after dark. But in times when it was necessary to go outside, it said that it was possible to flee the Shichinin Misaki by going about while hiding one's thumb in one's hand. No explanation on how that works. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- that's a, um, I, I think that's like a mudra. Um, that's a, okay, a, a, yeah. a, a popular hand, not popular. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's, it's in a lot of popular culture, that particular. Um, yeah, yeah. D- double yeah. stance. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I'm never going to get over power walking monks <laughs> ringing bells, ringing bells as they speedily walk down the path. Okay, there's um. Oh my god. There's there's one last entry. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take. You've all <laughs> you've all been you've all easier. been tapped out. Uh, the Shibuya Shiki Masaki is an urban legend told uh, told about in the later half of the 1990s. Oh, okay. In the Shibuya area in Tokyo, seven female high school students met death one after another. It is said because these students who perform uh, compensated dating got pre- oh got pregnant. And aborted their children, and the children's vengeful spirits became the Shisi. Oh, jeez, Shiki. Uh, Shichinin Misaki. There we go. Shikine, Shichinin yeah. Misaki, or the vengeful spirits of the children resurrected the Shichinin Misaki of the above le- of the above legend. 
and were taking their revenge on their mothers who were the female high school students. <laughs> okay, so this last section was clearly written by a high school student trying to get a letter mm. out because the reiteration is strong. Yeah. Um, I guess that's... that's in, this seems like... um an evolving cultural narrative though because this is a very much more modern take on the exact same monster which is kind of yes cool, you know and of course it's shibuya <laughs> no, is... because every supernatural thing in japan yeah, just yeah, centers yeah. around shibuya now it's the ley line it's probably a boston it's probably a boston persona let's be honest <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh i want i want the old one though i want the power walking monks it <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, sorry. In tracksuits so... with their little shadow masks on. <laughs> oh, it's just such a good image for a monster. It's just a group of seven ghost monks speedily, speedily walking down the street to abduct children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh. I, I, I love this. Yokai of the Week is always a pleasure, but this is an especially lovely, <laughs> lovely yeah. time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was good, and, and it sort of ties into what we're going to cover anyway. Um, which yeah, is Mounds of Madness. Mm-hmm. Insanity Mound. <laughs> Insanity Mound. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, and I guess that that was Yokai. Of the week. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Good to go. Oh. What was that about a mound? Uh, well, it's about a haunted mound. Or is it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the mound, uh, uh, takes place in the town of Binger, Oklahoma, which interestingly enough, uh, is one of the few non-fictional locations for a Lovecraft story to mm, take place mm. in. Because everyone's very familiar yeah. with Innsmouth and Arkham and so on and so forth, but this story is is very uh, explicitly set in a real location. Right. A real so location that doesn't actually have any mounds. That's... Yeah. That, but there's a nearby city that does, so it worked out. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, Town, I yeah. Guess. and um, and it's it's not pronounced binger like I heard in my head the entire time reading that entire novella. <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> okay, um, Re- that, rethink yeah. that entire That's plot. Fine. Uh, <laughs> well, mine alternated between binger and binger, so I don't think it. Yeah, I don't think my brain picked a. a pronunciation which is really weird because it is nearby where i grew up and i just haven't haven't heard of that particular mm. town but oh well so yeah i had a, i had a chance to know what the actual pronunciation is and i blew it <laughs> dang it <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah so we, we've got a town uh with a fictional mound yes where do we go from here uh, and it's also said in 1928 uh, when mm-hmm. just around the time that the Wild West was slowly starting to be less of the Wild West, mm. kind of l- less of this unknown expanse of 
fortune and uh, manifest destiny. Um, so uh, the mound is actually surrounded by this town, and the uh, story is narrated by uh, an ethnologist who I believe is also the reader surrogate in The Curse of Yig. Um, I don't know if you either one of you have any experience with that story, but that's also a uh, another very interesting uh, Lovecraft tale involving okay. the uh, the serpent god Yig. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I've not read that one, but uh, I feel I should now after reading this because he does feature in it to a degree. Yes. Um, well, that's another one by um, Zelia Bishop. Yes. Was it, mm. was it, well, like, I guess, rewritten by um, Lovecraft when he was editing her work? Right, right, right. So, the uh, citizens, uh, citizens of Binger say that the mound is haunted by a, an Indian man by day and a headless uh, female ghost by night. Well, I mean, they're both ghosts because I use the term haunted. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the narrator brings uh, tools to investigate the mound uh, and is besieged by story after story of people who have gone to investigate it and have come back either uh, dead and mutilated, alive and mutilated, or uh, alive, mutilated, and crazy. Um, uh, mutilation seems to be the the standard we <laughs> go to with uh, with the mound and people who mm. investigate it and uh, uh, it people will disappear for hours weeks months and then return in this bizarre altered uh, altered state uh, rambling about a lot of the horrors that they encountered mm. yeah so what else to do but go dig it up right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Typical Lovecraft style. <laughs> do we have a uh, uh, name for our narrator protagonist? Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Really? I, okay, good. I'm glad. Glad to know that it wasn't me just being lazy. I thought it was weird. No. No, uh, no, I'm pretty sure he's not actually explicitly named. Uh, he like names the people he's staying with and everything, but yeah. He does not name himself, as far as I can remember. Anyway, before our narrator sets out to defile a a cultural landmark, uh, <laughs> uh, he he speaks with uh, a number of the indigenous tribes people uh, that are basically mm -hmm. like uh, basically say, "Hey, don't mess with that. Everything bad <laughs> that you could possibly imagine happens to people mm. who." approach the mound, climb the mound, look at the mound. Uh don't just don't. It's it'll be better for every yeah, better for everyone. And eventually meets up with a, a man from an unknown tribe who gives him a talisman made out of strange metal. Um mm. and tells him that it will uh grant him protection on the mound. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like, I think it's, 
it could potentially <laughs> grant you protection. It wasn't even it will. Yeah, it's like right. if you have this great great you grandfather might, said you might maybe. be able to get away, you know, <laughs> with the minimum amount of uh, trouble. <laughs> yeah, um, and so he goes and uh, begins to dig upon the mound and unearths a cylinder made of basically the same metal as the uh, pendant. Mm. Covered in hideous engravings and strange hieroglyphs as as is the the custom with anything in a Lovecraft story. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So gotta have uh, those bus reliefs. Yeah, yes, and the exactly. the properties of this metal um, were pretty interesting because it attract it's like self attractive. I don't know what you want to call it. It's magnetic only to mm. another object of its same composition. Yeah. The, the medallion he has is sort of swaying uh, toward one location. That's on a pendant, and it points. It's pointing towards something he's, he's digging in the in the ground. And he, when he uncovers the cylinder, he finds out that they will you know stick together. Right. Uh, but mm, but neither yeah. of those things will adhere to any other metal, so it's just a strange magnetism, right? Between the, the only that spe- uh, particular type of metal. Yeah. Um, mm. So I believe at this point he leaves the mound to yep. uh, uh, investigate the cylinder and discovers that it actually contains a scroll. Written in mm. Spanish, which is a, uh, which is a, actually a really nice kind of variation on the the whole Lovecraft. Uh, you discover a piece of written material, but it's always in relief or whatever, yeah, or it's yeah. some, or it's an Englishman's account of some <laughs> some Lovecraft nonsense. Um, so yeah, I think the fact that it's it, it's a piece of uh, it's some documentation written in a language other than English is actually a really nice touch and a, a decent bit of of evolution on a gimmick that Lovecraft has used multiple times in his writings. Mm. Yeah, and it, it feels like he's like sort of poking fun at himself there because like the narrative is like. For a moment, I dared to believe I was holding the cipher to some ancient and unknowable language, and then I read, Venidas, it's in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so, after discovering the scroll and realizing that, oh, wait, no, just Spanish, our uh, narrator uh, begins to translate it, and the contents of the scroll actually make up most of the narrative of the mound hmm. uh, and describe the travels of Do you want me to Yes, Gabriel. <laughs> Panfio de Zamacona y Nunez. Um an uh, an explorer that uh, disappeared almost 400 years prior to the unearthing of the scroll. Um, hmm. and uh, basically recounts how he was part of an expedition from Mexico to North America, and through the help of uh, the indigenous uh, Native American population, discovered um, the the 
Sumerian labyrinth from Bloodborne. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. He went chalice diving. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh. Um, is basically a vast underground world that's uh, lit by is it is it gas? Is it the the cave ceiling? I always it's like bioelectric light in the air is like the way they describe it. I think it's weird. Yeah, it's something coming from something some sort of growth. Um, I think on the ceilings uh, and the subsequent mm. layers have a changed chemistry. I guess whatever that is because they're all <laughs> they're all lit you know, with a different color. Um, I believe the first layer is blue. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um. All the colors of the rainbow, and and it is it is literally just the the surface, uh, but in a cave, lit blue, uh, mm-hmm. full of fields and mountains and uh, indigenous wildlife. Um, it's it's an underground world, um, mm. uh, and yeah, there are uh, oh man, are the the creatures. When do we encounter the uh, the quadrupeds uh, transportation creatures? Once, uh... um, it's quite a bit in because he gets to the underground world and he's like, and he finds a temple made of solid gold. Which, hey, guess where all the um the legends of El Dorado came from? Right. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, holes up in there for a bit. Uh, gets discovered by the natives. Who then are like, no, no, it's fine, come with us, and then here's what we ride. And it's just this terrible, awful thing with, like, a unicorn horn, a human face, and all these this weird flabby white flesh and stuff, like, hmm. <laughs> and doesn't it kind of, I forget, but doesn't it say that it, it kind of has just, like, a genetically built-in saddle on itself as well for... Yeah, it's weird. It's it's all kinds of bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just this this literal genetically engineered monstrosity um, that is just transportation uh, for for mm-hmm. the native populace of of this uh, underground uh, layer. Actually, because as Dave mentioned, mm. there are actually more layers than just the the blue layer mm yeah uh so uh um the uh, uh it's also worth mentioning and actually very important that that the the uh native civilization that uh Zamakoa Zamakona uh yeah, discovers yeah. are uh telepathic so that's mm. always fun when you <laughs> just have people yeah. barging their way into your head to get to give mm. you exposition on their their <laughs> their fabulous but morally bankrupt society. Yeah, yeah, and it's an interesting. Kinda, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I just kind of like um. He seemed to like give thought to how that would affect society. Like he said, they only use actual speech for religious observations or for like indications of great emotion, and everything else is just thought. Mm-hmm. Which was like a nice bit of extra detail in there. Um, Dave, you were gonna say? 
Um, I was just saying that the way he, that he describes how that works is, um, I thought it was really interesting because it's not, uh, mm. it, it's delivery of words as like images. Like that's what kind of makes it through this connection, yeah. this link that you have to form uh, with whoever you're talking to. Uh, it looks like they, I don't, I don't think you can have like a group conversation as, as much. It looks like it's a kind of one-on-one basis, or at least you have to be making eye contact. Um, or especially mm-hmm. in the case of Zemakona, because he's just learning this um, ability. Uh, and he, he describes it as having to look, you know, directly at eye at their eyes. And then I, there's something also to do with their forehead uh, in that, in that transmission. <laughs> and in the beginning, he's, you know, it's quite rudimentary and he's only able to send like poor impressions of what he wants to convey. Whereas he's, he's saying that what he's receiving from um, the individual that he's first conversing with is, is far more complex and it it doesn't, Mm. it doesn't lend itself um, as Lovecraft is wont to um, wholly describable um, means of communication. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, um, it it yeah it's it's actually a uh, 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 a uh, a really interesting uh, form of 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 telepathy uh, because it is mm. picture based. It's not it's not words. It's yeah images, much as as Dave said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a great narrative device to avoid writing dialogue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so this is the race of the Kenyanians. Um. Yes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They've got their. They've got a lovely underground kingdom. Uh, and it's totally not morally bankrupt. What were you talking about, Leonard? <laughs> oh boy! So they give them uh, a lot of information. They uh. Uh, on their way to the the capital, I believe, uh, because mm. they they're just like, hey, outsider, we're we're comp- we're actually super interested in you, and we would like to show you around a bit and get some information from you. So get up on your uh, your monster horse uh, and uh, <laughs> come with us as we show you around our vast subterranean world. And um, mm. I believe on the ride there, he he sees some uh, disused machinery, uh, and yeah, yeah, that's, yeah because they, they, they like they quit mm. using all of their um, machines. Their yeah, it was too their, boring. <laughs> their civilization is arguably more advanced than anything on the surface of the world, uh, as far as like what they're able to accomplish or what they were, I guess, able to accomplish. But when he's dealing with them, their their garb um, and their weapons are you know rudimentary. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of. Mm. I think he explained it, or uh, it's a little bit as like Mayan, Aztecan kind of. Decor. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, or you kind of get an image of uh, uh, like ancient like Rome. Greece, like it just seemed like that. Yeah, sort of yeah. Idea because um, when he's talking about, or I guess when they're conveying their history to him through the images, um, 
and, and, and the stories of sort of how the society worked, they had a level of um, like a renaissance that mm. that era of, of civilization is they had that high point and now they've just sort of they're not they didn't really devolve but everything just went to excess and they just kept you know Marquis de Sodding it up yes <laughs> basically that's what's <laughs> happening <laughs> mm. uh, because they're bored they're bored and all their um, their arts and their um, efforts to entertain themselves has just basically gone the route of uh, pleasures of the flesh um, violence Things that are mm. an anathema to um, like a, a functioning society. Their their rule is um, sort. I guess socialist slightly. Uh, and yeah, they, yeah. They everyone's really have, provided um, for. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything is yeah. communal. So they don't mm. have family units. They have these. Affection friend, units, or whatever they were called. Friend <laughs> units. <laughs> give you, yeah, your group of fifty friends. That yeah. you just that you uh, you cycle through groups of like I don't know was it seven I don't remember um, so yeah, small yeah. Amounts. It, it, it was great they're like they're like welcome to the city here's your assigned group of seven noble women and several noblemen these are your friends now right you will get some new ones next yeah. month <laughs> and they're all um, they're functionally immortal uh, unless they decide mm. that they're so bored that killing themselves is a better form of entertainment. Um, so mm. any visitors that come down are are encouraged uh, to stay with them. They can never leave, basically. And mm. unfortunately, anyone that comes from the surface, while they can so they can they have a potential to learn some of the techniques of this that that's provided their longevity, but they're never able to attain that immortality. So any guests that have mm. shown up don't last long. Uh, or have fallen afoul of these um, entertainment uh, demonstrations. Sort of a... I, yeah. guess, I, I got the image of it was like a coliseum. Uh, yeah. Sort exactly. of yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's an interesting society as well, because they have a slave race, which is like literally in the same way as that sort of transport beast, like genetically modified to be subservient and lesser and just for manual labor. And then below that... Below the slave class, they have the zombie class, yep. which does most of the physical labor. It's like, oh, a slave died in the arena. They turn them into a manual laborer. They're all zombies. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's, it's really, it's a really thought out culture. Like, um, you know, to support this sort of kind of high level of living and decadent hedonism that apparently the entire society is comprised of. Of course, there's this massive workforce uh, beneath the whole thing holding it up from underneath, as it were. Uh, and it was an interesting explanation for that. Right. Uh, and the zombie class are, are are literally, yeah, literally made from, like, Coliseum combatants that uh, get mm. uh, straight murdered. Uh, and, mm. uh, and, and, <laughs> and criminals as well. Um, yeah. And uh, was it the... Which there was also a class which kind of served basically served as food as well. Yeah, yeah. There's also the meat. Yeah, <laughs> group. the meat class. It's the lowest of the social ranks. They're 
farm they're subhuman i guess is what it kind of gets at um yeah because because it's a it's like a caste system so the the lowest Mm. most the the least like um the upper echelon of society has been relegated to foodstuffs um Mm. it's but it's all their meat consumption is from those people right (laughs) it's really weird yeah yeah um it's also worth mentioning that uh it is it is straight out stated that they are in fact aliens. They they look like human beings but mm. but they are in fact aliens that came to earth at some undisclosed period in yeah. antiquity. Yeah. Well they're do, do they're, they... they are the ancestors of all human Humans. life on on the planet. Yeah. Right. So you got yeah. you got a little bit of your Prometheus on there in there. If uh, if 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 he, if he didn't drink the stuff and fall into the waterfall, uh, yeah yeah, um, there's just ac- underground instead. Yeah, exactly. There's <laughs> actually uh, a shocking amount of 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 thematic uh, uh, threads to other really well known uh, science fiction pieces. Uh, mm. In the mound, mm. which I think is really interesting because it's it's kind of like this gumbo pot of a bunch of other, <laughs> you know, really well known science fiction like Journey to the Center of the Earth and and so on and so yeah. forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all in the but like slathered in this very Lovecraftian veneer of like this is what happens to a society when when it stagnates and gets bored and they just mm. eat, they just genetically modify like people and eat them and they have these horrible <laughs> horse things and they're just like go to the coliseum and mm. watch this champion get cut in half and then have him work in your house as a zombie five days later <laughs> it's 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 yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of different stuff going on but the thing that i enjoy most is that it's all very coherent and all makes sense for for yeah. the story yeah. that's being told mm. yeah he builds a really good society like they, they even have religion mm-hmm. But not out of actual belief, but for aesthetic purposes, they like the idea of temples and like religious rituals, I guess. Right. And so they're all they're all play, praying to Cthulhu and Yig and Shabnigarath and stuff like that. Yep. It's like yeah, we're doing it because it looks cool, guys. We like we like the way we look when we worship. <laughs> I I also I and it's funny when 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 that part of the story uh, comes into play, it it always leaves me wondering like. Does that actually give like like the the old ones any sort of power? Because like mm. they're not actually like they they're doing it out of the aesthetic. Uh, they they clearly know that these beings exist. They they don't. Mm. Uh, they it isn't that they don't believe in Cthulhu or or, or Yig or so on, but. There's no like fervor to it, so does it actually mm. give you know the old ones any power, or is it just like oh god the the Kenyans are praying to me again, and I'm just trying <laughs> to sleep I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I think you accidentally stuck an e in there no. <laughs> 
Whoops. Yikes. Oh, dear. Catania. Canadians. Canadians. Yeah, something like that. Nope, I think somebody else is going to handle that word for the rest of the podcast. We just don't have to name them. We can say those guys underground. The people from the blue level. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Sorry. and uh, an, another uh, point is that they weren't always se- sequestered underground. Uh, they mm. actually mm. did use to trade uh, and gasp, what a surprise, gold, because... Because uh, <laughs> they have all of it, yeah, and every alien, every 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 Cthulhu mythos civilization knows how much man loves gold and has plenty of it to trade. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. they don't they don't care about the gold. Uh, the gold no. to them is just like a you know, yeah. de- decorative material. They care about the um, the sweet uh, Cthulhu, Cthulhu metal. metal, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I think it, it does describe that their their worship of a few of these gods is um, it's entirely like self indulgent, mm-hmm. uh, and it's sort, mm. of, sort of yeah. co- it's a cosmetic dra- uh, yeah, uh, yeah. trapping. It's a cosmetic it's trapping. The They're using yeah. They just like the <laughs> they just like the aesthetic. It's a mood. It's a big mood down there. <laughs> um, <laughs> My elder god is not your prom dress. Oh god! <laughs> yeah, that's basically that. If that's what's happening here, um, yeah. And they don't get uh, too much into the other levels. I wish that there was more. Yeah. Of this huge there, like, novella given to that. Yeah. But what? Um, yeah. What Lovecraft has done here is those other levels are basically. The um, the world building of other authors, like his contemporaries, and he just tossed them in as like nods mm. to what's going on in other. Um, I don't know what you call that uh, mythos, <laughs> basically. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just shout outs to his his buddies' uh, works, um, which mm, yeah. Prior to this, and I guess a couple years after, because he didn't, didn't last too much longer after this was um, well. This was published published posthumously anyway, but right. um, after mm. it was written, and uh, they used some of this to kind of build up the Cthulhu mythos as a whole, um, and the Hyperborea and a few other things. Uh, one mm. good, well, one of the many takeaways from this particular novel was I wasn't familiar um, with some of the other authors. Like his contemporaries, I, I was mm. aware of like August Derelith, um, mm-hmm. but not um, now. I've is it, no, I did the wrong thing. Who's this guy? Clark, Clark, something. I'll have to click on. I think it's the yep, Clark Ashton Smith. Um, I don't. It's his hyper hyperborean. I've only like haven't read any of his work. Um, I've just seen him mentioned, mm. um, sort of. In reference, um, so one of the one of the gods that they worship in this um, in their blue zone is um, Sathagua. I guess I'm saying that mm. right. It's always a gamble with <laughs> any yeah. of these words. Close enough. Right. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Um, uh, is 
pretty interesting, and I, I was trying to find some of the, um, the side tales, but all of the published works um, by Clark Ashton Smith are in, like, really... The volumes are strangely put together, so I couldn't ever find mm. individual stories I wanted. I don't, I don't want to buy a huge 40-work <laughs> thing. I just wanted one story. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, the, it looks like the Sathagua, the first um, time... H.P. Lovecraft used that God is in the Whisper in the Darkness, which I, I have read, but um, maybe return yeah. to that uh, at a future date because there's, uh, as we've sort of mentioned, a lot to unpack um, in in <laughs> what he's referencing. There's just he's making so many in references um, to his own work and to work, works of his um, contemporaries that it's could be confusing. Um, the, the the main one, you know, um, when it's mentioning um, Shabnigarath, um, yeah. of course, uh, and then even um, is it it's uh, nub? No, not nub. Yig. No, not yig. It's the other. It's the two. It's the ones that one of them is a parent of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's the ones that are <laughs> facing each other in the uh, the large. Um, Isn't that cavern. Cthulhu and Yig? No. No, it's, it's the, the parents. Uh, oh. It's got to be right here. <laughs> so many yeah. uh, the notes on these are Just huge. So. Tracing back over these very, very difficult and complex family trees for the uh, the elder gods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, while Dave does that, I, I realize there's something <laughs> forgot to mention. Um, so a lot a lot of the rantings and ravings of people who came back from the mound were talking about spirits and men who are more ghost than man. Um, the final trick up the sleeves of the Kenyanians, or however we say that, um, is they've learned the art of dematerializing and rematerializing themselves and others at will. Um, yep. So they can sort of thin Dang. themselves out at the atomic level to become no, basically just, just a gas. It's Danny, weird. Danny Phantom, you know? <laughs> yeah, they're Danny Phantoming it. I don't know, it's, it's, got, it's got interesting descriptions because <laughs> the main character learns the trick at some point and he's like talking about threading himself between other atoms so as not to disturb them and things like that. I'm like, wow, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that part is interesting because it has levels of uh, skill and the, mm. the most basic level of learning this dematerialization technique is actually sort of a dream walking. He can like send his mind yeah. elsewhere. Right. And, um, that's a nice tie into like the dreamlands. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Th those two, oh, where did it go? I just, oh, um, dang it. <laughs> I, I had it on the page <laughs> and then now I lost my place staring at this thing. Okay. Uh, it's Nug and Yeb. Okay. Uh, there we go. That's. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just yeah. did it their names. Um, and Nug, I believe, cool. is the, cool. the father of Cthulhu. Right. Yeah. Okay. God. So many complex relations. It's <laughs> a large tree. Um, there's yeah. A, there's, like, <laughs> websites dedicated to just trying to tackle that. Um, that's beyond our uh, mm. purview, I think, at the moment. <laughs> it's, just, it's enough to know that these these figures exist for now. Right. Uh, so, uh, Zamakoa is taken to the capital city. Uh, anyone got that name? 
yeah, uh, it's um, the same name as the the Sath. Sa- sa- yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 main city and uh, uh, the level blue people are <laughs> uh really interested <laughs> to know what are uh, what's going on on the surface. So their hospitality mm. is kind of like, okay, yeah, you get to stay here and 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 live with us and ex- uh, experience our our wonderful society. Uh, but we're going to mine you for information on what's going on <laughs> on the surface. Yeah. Mm. Um. It's, right. it's mm. go on. I mean. It's pretty cool because, like, he's talking about, like, they they tell him that everyone else who's come down here for, like, the last 1,000 years hasn't been someone like you because he's, like, an adventurer, mm-hmm. ef- effectively. You know, he's a, he's been all over the world. He knows a ton of stuff about what the world looks like, even whereas everyone else who stumbled down here has been from a small village or something okay. like that or just gone straight up mad. Right, yeah. And what... he is this wealth of information for them. <laughs> yeah, and what they take pains to course dig into is all the um the, mo- the more recent uh visitors have been locals um above the mound mm, or, yeah. or or the other mounds because the mounds yeah. of course spread across the globe but no he's an educated mm. european right uh, so he's mm. uniquely <laughs> suited to um uh, to transmit the knowledge of the, the upper world yeah and he, he almost sparks a sort of cultural interest in history again like there's a lot of talk like people are beginning to like look over all their records again it's like oh so this is what this is now and stuff like that yeah well, um, he's he's reignited an interest in the surface world which is a a, a pro mm. in some ways and then a, a more like a giant con because he's um <laughs> because he's talking about uh the the westward or i guess the global expansion mm. really and um colonization yeah. those efforts uh he's sort of instilled a, a, a fear um in this society that the surface world's going to come down in mass and um take you know what they want from um, mm. the kenyans and in doing yeah. so they're they're bending their uh not insubstantial like efforts to stop anything like that from occurring and his worry is that um if they go further than just shutting themselves off but instead try to take the offensive the the surface world is like just gonna mm. get crushed because these, these guys can right. just become ghosts yeah. basically right <laughs> not, not to mention like yeah. the atomic uh energies that they can harness Yes, because yeah. they also so have there, a, there is a yeah. They also have atomic energy as well. They're 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 psychic. They can become intangible. They have <laughs> atomic energy. They can manipulate things genetically, bring the dead back to life, and they're terribly terribly frightened about the conquistadors on the yeah. surface. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, uh, this is probably the correct ac- attitude to have about conquistadors when you're a, a hidden indigenous population. But <laughs> not when, not when the it, the uh, the population are all basically every member of the X Men. Yeah, true. 
<laughs> yeah, good point. Um, but yeah, you know, um, so he he spends some time as a sort of a cultural interest, an artifact, an oddity of kinds. Uh, how does he get on after that? Uh, not great, because he kind of wants to go home and realizes that this society is going down real quick. Um, mm. uh, after after the the interest that that his his appearance sparked in ancient texts and 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 so on and interest in the surface world, a lot of uh, fear. Uh, developed uh, as as we mentioned, and then that fear they seem to mitigate that fear by by diving in deeper into their various uh, forms of depravity, um, mm. uh, uh, surgically altering uh, uh, themselves uh, uh, into more uh, like grotesque shapes, extra limbs. Uh, definitely uh, uh, a heavy implication on just these bizarre orgies. Uh, the Colosseum was like at uh, at running at a thousand. They just wanted uh, <laughs> more blood, more gore. They it it's it's yeah it's it's this big hard right turn to like mass hedonism uh, on this mm. scale. Uh, which is kind of like an interesting um, counter tipping point to this re, uh, revitalization in the interest of their past and their history, which is okay. Yeah, yeah we looked at that. Um, at, you know, oh, the ancient texts, no one cares, burn them. Uh, <laughs> let's get to the Colosseum <laughs> and watch, watch the six armed, five leg monster fight. These two zombies stitched together. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> <to be fair. laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, our, our poor, our poor Spanish boy just wants to go home. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, and he makes an attempt. Uh, he uh mm. with um. Uh, is is his first attempt the one where he tries to just straight up uh, leave? Like, yeah, he just tried to walk back the way he came. Yeah, and that didn't work. Yeah, out. and they were like, "Nah, we're not <laughs> that silly, you silly goose. You're not going up there to tell all those." People that are no match for us about our civilization and our gold. Nah, mm. um, mm. so we're putting you on house arrest with your harem and your your fourteen friends. Um, <laughs> seven, seven. Yeah, friends. yeah. sorry, <laughs> seven friends. We're doing, we're putting you on house arrest. So don't do that again, or we might have to turn you into a zombie. Mm. Um, so guess, guess what he does <laughs> he leaves again uh, <laughs> yeah um, so, so the interesting thing um, this is kind of interesting because uh, he, he grew very close with one of his assigned friends uh, <laughs> Tlaib I believe Dave is that right am I saying that correctly 
Tla Yub Yub. Um, yeah, uh, but this the tale describes her as sort of having this sensibility harkening back to the old ideas of monogamous relationships, you know, back then when they were so normal and not crazy hedonistic, and she sort of gets very attached to him. And it turns out her family used to be one of the gate guardian families that knew of a secret tunnel out of the underground back up to the surface. But basically when they were closing up all the gates, her family had already been so sort of brought down in numbers and importance that they forgot they even had one. Uh, so she's got a way out, which is pretty good. Uh, so what else to do but load up as many slave pieces as you can with pallets of gold and just walk out of there <laughs> again. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very solid plan, I don't know. Uh, it would have worked out just fine if you hadn't been greedy. Mm. Like that greed for gold uh, it was his undoing. They may have made it if they hadn't, you know, had too many creepy slave beasts yeah you, you just had to take the real ornery slave beast that decided to run back to the city and literally tell on you because they like they're, they're, they're <laughs> subhuman but they can they can yeah. communicate yeah <laughs> just all, all I can think thing. of is the um the the alien dog in um invasion of the body snatchers that's what these things remind me of yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest, the weirdest slavish just gets real tired of having to carry around this giant pallet of gold, <laughs> and so it's like, no, enough of this. Back, back to the city with all of you. You were told not to run away. I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's funny. It's, it's always in stories like this. It's always the greed because if he had just like said, ah, you know what, I don't want any of this creepy, uh, like, hidden gold. I just want to get out of here. I think everything would have been fine. Everything would have been fine. But nope, they just let the, they just let the monster, they just let the horse that could telepathically communicate with everybody just run away so he could be like, hey, you know that Spanish guy that you told not to leave? <laughs> well, he's trying to leave again. And he's trying to steal all this gold that's on me. Oh. <laughs> I still... God, could you imagine the day-to-day -day convenience in farming if, like, regular beasts of burdens could complain <laughs> about your actions? Oh, ooh, uh, that, ooh. <laughs> he didn't give me the whole bag of oats, and then he made me pull the plow again. I'm like, no, Cameron, stop drawing parallels to our real life. We can't, mm. we can't, mm. we don't want to get, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole of, like, uh. <laughs> mm. True. So... Uh. Uh, um, so they, they, they lose, they lose the beast and say, uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure we can still make it. It's still good. It's still good. Yeah. Um, but it, and, I mean, they all, they almost made it. They were super close. To the they were, they were literally like 20 feet from the exit. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but they're caught. Um, yep. and, uh, uh, they are, um, uh, told that they are going to be punished, like, yes. uh, greatly, 
And that's mm. kind of where the manuscript ends. Uh, right? Um, uh, more or less. Like, there's a little more where it's like he gets brought back and his punishment is now you can definitely never leave with your seven friends. Bad Spaniard, no. <laughs> um, and he, and, but he is also deliberately told rumors of what happened to, um, to the Yub, who was apparently mutilated in the arena and set as a headless guard with a blue lantern over at the mound, which that's where that ghost comes from, right. I guess. Right. Yes, the, the punishment <laughs> is that they, they resurrect her as a headless zombie um, and task her with guarding the mound that her, her ancestors guarded, the entrance that her ancestors mm. guarded so long ago. This is what you. This is what you get for, for trying to escape. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, um, and he tries again, of course, because he really wants to go home. Right. Um, but it, there's really not a lot of detail in the manuscript after that. It's like things continue to get worse. I'm nearly out, and then it just stops. Right. Because. Um, <laughs> Because he, he left. Clearly, he made it out. There's no record of this man in any of human history, and his stuff was just on top of the hill. He was clearly fine. Nothing bad ever happened to him. And our um, our ethnologist friend, the narrator, can confirm this by looking for evidence on the hill again, because he just goes straight back to the mound and starts digging it up again. I'm like, please, you read this giant 100-page <laughs> manuscript. Stop. No, <laughs> it told you he, not he, to. He... Yeah, he did keep going. Like maybe it's a joke by the town people. Yeah, and he, was, he was like, "It's an elaborate prank." I just better go confirm it. But don't worry, I'll go in the daytime because it's not spooky. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's also <laughs> it's also worth noting that uh, she isn't the only guard at the mound, and mm. that uh, that there have been uh, they have placed soldiers there that have be that are. S- seemingly permanently in their intangible state, just hanging yeah. out there, yeah. waiting for somebody to, to to show up and enter the enter the opening, which kind of gives uh, lets the reader know how all the people who had investigated the mound that were mutilated and, and came back crazy, what actually happened to them, that they were snatched up by these yeah, uh, intangible guards that were that had been lurking there for literally hundreds <laughs> of years. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. I believe it was uh, twelve dead slave Yimbai and six living. Yeah, the zombies. Yes, and <laughs> yes, and uh, six living but partially deteriorate, uh, dematerialized freemen. Mm. So, yeah. like a just you know a cavalcade of horrors waiting to snatch somebody <laughs> up yeah. should they find the entrance. But mm. that's not enough for our narrator because, of course, it's a big, it, this super elaborate ruse in this small mm. town. <laughs> Clearly, he has to go back and investigate more. Um, and he yeah, eventually breaks through and finds the entrance. Uh, the entrance mm. to the entrance, I guess we could say, because it's not yeah. not exactly the entrance to 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 the blue level. Um, 
and uh, he's uh, as he's as he's making his way down the tunnel. He does he have a flashlight, uh, a lamp? He has an electric torch. Yes, there we yeah. go. Said. Yeah, um, uh, he can feel uh, things. Uh, what feels like ghostly ethereal hands gra- uh, grabbing at him and also at the pendant around his neck. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think they're mostly pushing him. So these intangible yeah. or semi-intangible um, things that have been perpetually nicely pushing people away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the last <laughs> warning you're getting is we're just trying to push you out. But, you know, Shoo. you... If you keep going, <laughs> there's some Ooh. spooky zombies. Hmm, lots of spooky zombies. Um, <laughs> and I also got the impression that that they probably would have actually done harm to our narrator if not for the star metal, <laughs> for lack of a better term, the star metal pendant that he was mm. wearing, and that it did actually afford him some level of protection from them for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, like who knows? Like th- there's a lot of stuff like in the Spaniards manuscript about like it's the only thing they truly value is that metal and it ha- has all these weird properties and like it has the closest thing to religious reference around it that anything in that place actually has. So it could be like unwilling to do anything that might harm the amulet so they're trying to pull it off him or it might be it literally weakens the effect they can have on him physically when he's wearing it, who knows? Right. So, yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, making his way down and being, uh, 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 uh accosted by ghosts. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he finally, uh, does he make it, he finally makes his way into, like, an open room area. Mm. Um, yeah, the guard post chamber, basically. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, that has uh, two huge sculptures of uh, Yig and uh, Cthulhu uh, staring yeah. at each other, <laughs> just being like, oh, you, girl, mm. you better mm. not, you better <laughs> keep your snakes out of my ocean. Yig's like, you better keep your ocean out of my snakes. and yeah, my snakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we uh, we see the thing that was... Um, there was a lot of talk about one particular person's encounter within the mound earlier, and he kept yelling about something someone did to a white man. Yes. And we see the white man in question, Leonard, describe for me the ending horror of this tale. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> let's see. I gotta, I gotta find it. What is? Mm. Uh, besides uh, lacking uh, head. Wait, uh, no, that's it, that's it, okay. Besides lacking uh, head, arms, lower legs, and other customary parts of a human being, yes, it had been a very human being once, uh, and what is more, it had been white. Uh, the, 
the uh, what to do. Very obviously, if that manuscript was as true as I think it was, this being had been used for diversions of the amphitheater before its life had become wholly extinct and only and supplanted by atomic impulses controlled from the outside. On its white and only slightly hairy chest, some letters had been gashed or branded. I had not stopped to investigate, but had merely noted that they were in awkward and fumbling Spanish. An awkward Spanish implying a kind of ironic use of the language by an alien uh, inscriber familiar neither with the idiom nor the Roman letters used to record it. The inscription had read, Kevin, I'm going to let you handle the Spanish. Uh, don't make me read the actual Spanish. I've got to find the actual <laughs> book to do that. Not be in my cliff notes. Um, hold on. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the story. Let me see. Sequestrado a la voluntad de Zinian en el cuerpo decapitado de Tliaub. Um, or seized by the will of the Kinyan in the headless body of Tliaub, uh, who was the consort who tried to escape with him and was later turned into the headless female ghost. Yes. Uh, so they basically so, left left our, our, our poor Spanish adventurer uh, flopping branded like, headless warning i mean he's just like he's, he's just, just a, a torso, torso yeah. with yeah. like his upper legs and nothing else i think <laughs> which is really weird and creepy yep. <laughs> uh and that's actually how the story ends there's no flight from the mound it is and no. and then i saw this torso with half legs and i went home <laughs> Yep. Fuck all this. Yep. <laughs> um, and that's the mound. It's uh, it's a really interesting for uh, I think it it's not as well known as uh, it's well it's definitely not as well known as Lovecraft's mm. other other mythos works. However, it the the sheer amount of tie-in that it does not only to his own works but to other contributors of the Cthulhu mythos is actually really massive. Would you mm. agree? Mm. Oh, it's really... It's got a good implication in everything bound together in the underground a little. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good overall story that really feels good mm-hmm. for the, yeah. the Cthulhu mythos as a whole, I guess. Like, I, th- I think that comes down to the amount of development that you mm. put into the civilization. Um, it, yeah. It, it's... It's less just hinted at things, but it's, it's an over description of you know, what the current or at the time, you know, the four hundred, five hundred years ago state of this mm. civilization was, um, and because this was ghost written, um, it doesn't suffer, I think, from as much purple prose as his general writings. This, I think, is mm. one of the better examples of. Um, you know his creativity uh, not being hindered by just like ridiculous amount of unpronounceable words um, or just flowery mm. prose. Uh, it's it's pretty straightforward. I would say that 
given its length. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I don't think prefer the abridged version, uh, but the yeah. the hundred page length of this could have maybe been trimmed or at least developed um, a little bit better as far as some of the maybe the history. I would like to know a little bit more about um, the. His his work shies away from um, descriptive details. Uh, it's just everything is sort of hinted at, which is fine because that gives you you know room to work with. But I think it could also benefit mm. from at least some um, extra description. Uh, this accidentally ties into um, there's another author, uh, Edward Lee. Um, he's a, a, a current um, horror writer. He has done uh, sort of uh, a Lovecraft kick. Like he wrote a bunch of um, fiction mm. that is actually where the protagonist is Lovecraft, and then it's just kind of relating okay. uh, events. Um, however, I would put, I guess, uh, a, maybe I don't know if it's a disclaimer. Um, Edward Lee's work is, is mm. splatter punk, and it is. Um, heavily descriptive overly descriptive in um, the Mm. violence and um, sexual content Uh, I Ah. the the stories themselves the plots are good but the you can be like I think turned away from from the work just simply because of the 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 graphic detail um, in them he's not shy on any of that so it they're interesting, but I can't wholeheartedly recommend any particular uh, <laughs> bits of the work, uh, mm. like in, in good faith. Okay. <laughs> I think it would just be, I, I don't know. I don't want to go like, oh, this story is great, and then people are like, why would you ever read that? But just suffice to say that uh, uh, he's taken a lot of inspiration from Lovecraft um, and I and I think you can also see yeah. uh, I don't know if this story in particular um, would have influenced Clive Barker but it feels like it could have like I could yeah. see a lot of par- parallels between um, the mm. um, Kenyans and then uh, say um, the Cenobites yes or, or Hellraiser mm. in general um, so that that I guess that sort of, uh, if you like that kind of thing, um, <laughs> maybe check out some of Edward Lee's stuff. I would definitely read uh, reviews before purchasing yeah. um, any of the stories because they, everyone's pretty clear on like what goes on in the story and, and kind of the the plot, the, the blurbs or the synopsis of the stories don't give you a full idea of what you're getting into whereas the people that are reviewing it are usually pretty good about hey this has this in it so you should if you don't like that then you know maybe maybe give that one a miss yeah um uh there was one i won't (laughs) completely recommend it but uh Mm. oh uh flesh gothic um i think that was the the I've enjoyed that the most. I think out of the other stories, it's basically um, the haunting. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or or House of Hunter mm-hmm. Kill. It's that kind of idea. It's it, he he writes in um, that sort of Victorian Gothic style. He like every few books he'll change, you know the the theme like the of what what he's using as inspiration. And this definitely feels like a, a nice throwback to um, mm. the haunting or any any of those um, books or, or films. Uh, however, um, uh, up front, like there's definitely a lot of um, graphic content in every sense of the word. So, if that thing's if, if that's your <laughs> cup of tea, you know, give it a gander. But otherwise, you'll you'll know. In fact, a lot of these through Amazon, um, even just downloading the uh, the samples like is enough to go let mm. you know if you want to even bother continuing to read it um, but yeah that, that, okay. was, that was that small tangentially related plug um, there mm. was another another title that I almost wanted to read but I think probably no <laughs> I won't actually get into it even though it, it deals fairly specifically with a lot of themes that this um, the mound covers mm-hmm. just not in just not in any sort of detail whereas the other one is the, the opposite way it's like all of the detail you could never want to know um, <laughs> uh, and then there's i guess a semblance of a, a plot um so it's sort of like b-movie schlocky kind of fiction uh but some of the ideas are, are, are interesting in of themselves uh, but you have to right. wade through things that you might not actually want to, to read <laughs> So, mm. so there's that again. Oh, it's a, it's like a, it's like a backhanded recommendation. Like, <laughs> look up, just look up the guy's Wikipedia page, and then you can decide from there. <laughs> he's won, he's won awards for his, um, or I guess nominations for Bram Stoker Award, a couple of things. One, one movie adaptation so far, um, but it's definitely, it is the, hmm, if anyone likes things like Hostel or Saw or. That, that sort of genre, it's mm-hmm. that, just in written form, but he branches out enough in, like, sub-genres to make, like, there's something interesting in, in his, like, uh, body of work. Um, I, particularly, I do mm-hmm. want to get into his um, Lovecraft uh, stuff, but there, mm-hmm. you can look at the blurbs, and it's not shy about what's going on in, <laughs> in the stories, just, I guess, for, as a, a warning. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but yeah, the mound, um, the mound itself was. Uh, thanks for um, recommending this one, Leonard. It was very enjoyable. Like this yeah, one. thank you. It was super good. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I had run across it. I had run across it actually a couple years ago, uh, right after the first time uh, beating Bloodborne because I was absorbing all of Lovecraft's uh, stuff in 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 an attempt to. Uh, kind of uh, uh, root out influences from his works mm. for the mound, um, and uh, not for the mound, but for, for Bloodborne. And I think, uh, uh, as I mentioned really early at the beginning of the podcast, like like mm. this is is the influence for the Thimerians. Um, yeah, it certainly seems like a good <laughs> starting point. Yeah. <laughs> for uh, all that. Um, I mean, you even have weird things like, oh, hey, they can become intangible. And, like, why is that they're this Mm. one specific Thumerian that's like a ghost? Or why are there (laughs) these ghosts 
that's kind of weird. And I, I, mm. I really was, um, uh, um, uh, really was surprised how much, uh, like conceptual, uh, stuff they, they mm. pulled from, from the story and used it to kind of shape, like, a little bit of who the Thumerians are. And I, I think because it is one of the lesser, uh, uh, it is, is lesser known of, of, of Lovecraft's works that, um, a lot of, of the, the Thumerian stuff in Bloodborne kind of gets overlooked because it seems like there mm. isn't a reference point for it, uh, as opposed to a lot of the other things in Bloodborne that have clear, like, Lovecraft inspirations just because they're so well-known. Mm. Yeah. But that's just me and my thoughts on the mound. <laughs> uh, and... Cool. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a long one. There is uh there is an audio <laughs> reading of it that is uh 3 hours 20 minutes and 54 seconds on YouTube. Ooh. Uh if you if you don't want to actually read through it and spend a lot of your time being able to listen to podcasts over the course of the day, I would definitely su- uh suggest uh uh, listening to that uh, recording of it, um, Dave. I'm sure we can yeah. probably throw those into the show notes. <laughs> yeah, I can put a link in there. Yeah. Um, do we have any emails this week? Nope. Okay. <laughs> sadly, nope. sadly, we had no. Um, well, uh, part of that is probably because. No one knows about this story. <laughs> I haven't heard of it, even, even though it was part of the collection I have. Um, thankfully, right. I didn't have to hunt far for it. I just pulled it up on the giant HP Lovecraft mm. collection I have. Um, I think that that's that's a bit <laughs> of it. Uh, but uh, hopefully, this will engender um, further interest in in this story and then in, in potential ties to Bloodborne. Because yeah, that this I I would say certainly that you're not remiss in likening these to the um, influence of the Thumerians and <laughs> probably in other media. It would be interesting to see um, the influence of this uh, elsewhere. Um, and as I mentioned, I, I think that this could have uh, influenced like Clyde Barker and a few other things. There's, they're very iconic. Yes. Uh, it's an iconic culture that you don't mm. see elsewhere often, um, if much at all. And uh, we didn't discuss it um, but in brief so the other layers there's a, the red layer is below the blue and that's the, mm-hmm. the domain of Yig and the serpent people and mm-hmm. then the yep. layer below that is the black layer and um, that one is uh, Sathogla's domain mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's the formless the formless ones um, and or um, Shoggoths I guess right. is the closest thing that is identifiable um but that's that black layer is is the area where the um Kenyans delved too deep and um brought back things mm-hmm. that they, they probably shouldn't have and right. began I think the descent of their um, civilization so that's another um influence I think on, on Mm. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I think we can all say that um, if any of our discussion today has uh, sparked any interest for this story, that you should definitely either read it or or listen to an audio recording of it. Uh, The Mound Mm. is a really, really dense, interesting piece of Lovecraft fiction that uh, has him uh, delving into the workings of a non-human society, much like at the Mountains of Madness or uh, the Shadow Out of Time. Uh, so if those mm. uh, Lovecraft, kinds of Lovecraft stories, really do something for you, uh, I can't recommend The Mound enough. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, um, I think we can maybe use this uh, as our starting off point into the, um, the Dream Cycle uh, book. Yeah. So will in in the future uh start taking a look at those um, there's, a, there's a lot to those are the longer of his tales yeah and, yeah um, we'll, we'll uh, devote one or two episodes uh, a piece i think to some of that work because it, it's just going to take that long to talk about it, i think um yeah uh well i'm i'm not the host of this episode so <laughs> where, where are we standing for yes. uh for this tale uh, we are drawing this tale to a close. So, uh, Dave, where can people find you out on the interwebs? I am pretty much solely on Twitter. You can find me at sentient <laughs> underscore plus. Um, also, I'm co-host of the Kung Fu film podcast, Crouching Tiger Hidden Podcast with Mr. <laughs> Vader Van Oden. Uh, we have a good time. We just finished up an episode uh, that that begins our journey into um, to the West, uh, all, all about uh, um, Sun Wukong and uh, the the Monkey King. Nice. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Nice. And, uh, oh yeah, s- swing on by and give us a listen uh, <laughs> because we don't have very many listeners. <laughs> we could use some more. Hmm. Cameron, where are you at on the? Uh, yeah. You uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. I, too, am co-host on another podcast, uh, Realm and Ruin, a Warhammer 40,000 slash Age of Sigma slash General Games Workshop stuff podcast. Uh, come join the fun. It was Warhammer Fest last weekend, and everyone seems to be listening to find out what that was all about. So, come listen to us if you're into any of that, or if you're not, Get a hobby. <laughs> Become interested in it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I should not be allowed to record this late. Sometimes uh, I enter a fey mood. Um, Leonard, where can we find you and uh, your work? Uh, you can find me on uh, at uh, on Twitter uh, at Doctor Faust is dead. You can also. Find me on YouTube uh, at YouTube uh, backslash uh, C backslash Dr. Faust is Dead. Uh, I do narrative examinations of some of my favorite video games. Uh, I haven't made a video in forever because I've been doing crazy hours at work which only subsided Mm. for about four days this week and is now going to pick up for potentially two days next week. Um, 
by the way, uh, I, 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 I work in the video game industry, so I will, I, and I can only <laughs> say this much, but uh, the game that I've been working on for the uh, better part of a year and soon to be a year and a half was announced uh, just this last week. So if you are into mm. internet sleuthing, you might be able to figure out what company <laughs> I work for. Uh, uh, but just know that I can't tell you any information because I signed an NDA. But, you know, that's how it goes. Mm. But, um, <laughs> yes, that's where you can find me. And, 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 uh, I like talking about video games a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that's going to do it. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us today on this episode of Monster Dear Monster, uh, and we hope you will join us again in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bye. I think that's us signing off. I think that's us. Yep. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.